Carrie, would you pray for us? Father, thank you for today. We're in a new month, Lord. I thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning. I thank you that your promises are yes and amen. And that you are not man that you should lie. I thank you, Father, that you are the ancient of days. I thank you that you are sovereign over all things. I pray, Father, for the church around this world, God, for those who are persecuted in your name, Father. We ask that you would encourage and strengthen them this day, Father. We ask for our time together today, Lord, that we would focus and fix our eyes upon you, Lord. Yes, Father. And that our spirits would be encouraged and strengthened, Father, in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
church, and then we'll get into the word. 
When I first saw them walking along the beach, I knew it wasn't for a day of play, but I couldn't have imagined what was to come. Each victim was dressed in an orange prison jumpsuit, was escorted by an ISIS soldier. They were forced to kneel, their sentence was read out, and the knives were revealed. That's when the horror began. For a for a more than a decade before ISIS's mass beheading of 21 Egyptian Christians, ICC tried to wake the Western media and Western church to the rise of radical Islam around the globe. Given ICC's focus on persecution, we knew that most instances of modern persecution are driven by radical Islam. We witnessed radical Islam's worldwide expansionist movement, and we weren't afraid to be vocal or politically incorrect about it. Unfortunately, for many years, our message often fell on deaf ears. That changed after the mass beheading. There were no more raised eyebrows or suspicions when we spoke about radical Islam. That one video woke up the world. Most people could finally see that pure evil had been unleashed on the world and it was coming from radical Islam. In June 2014, about six months prior to the beheading of the 21 Coptic Christians, ice sprang onto international headlines. They had captured Mosul, Iraq's second largest city, and were attacking Christian villages across Iraq's Nineveh plains. Hardened by the fighting in Syria and elsewhere, the jihadists moved through Iraq like a plague, raping and butchering women and children along the way. Christians were marked for forced conversion, expulsion, or execution. Entire cities were emptied of Christians for the first time in nearly 2,000 years. Within six months, 1.2 million Iraqis were driven out of their homes, and 100,000 of them fled eastward towards Erbil and the Kurdistan region. Most arrived with absolutely nothing but the clothes on their backs, robbed by ISIS militants along the way. They lived in the open without shelter, totally exposed to the 115 degree heat of Iraq's summer sun. The churches in Iraq called out to their brothers and sisters in the West for aid. Western church relief was the main source of assistance as aid from the UN or Iraqi government often did not make it to the Christians. ICC funds raised from our donors and did what we did best. We sprang into action and became a bridge between the free church and the persecuted church. Two of my staff members traveled to the frontline city of Erbil in Iraq, only 60 miles away from ISIS. Working together with local churches and Christian organizations, we provided food, water, shelter, and more to thousands within Iraq's Christian community. Every square inch of shade was taken up by Christians who had fled ISIS. They knew that getting out of the sun had to be their first priority for survival. We handed out food, blankets, water, and whatever else was needed. We even hired a water truck to bring 50 Yes, 15,000 gallons of water to a group of Christians who didn't have access to water. At times of great persecution, when Christians have lost everything, 
They feel desperately alone and hopeless. As you may be able to relate, they often feel abandoned by the church and even by God, their father. ICC often meets them at this point. When God meets their physical needs, we say, we heard you, we feel your pain. We weep with those who weep. This touches them on a deep, deep level. It comforts them in just the way they need and sends a clear message to them. God, your father, and his church have not forgotten you. Remember, we are one body, meaning Jesus' spirit is in all Christians, and he feels their pain. So when one part of the body is being crushed and broken, we respond and offer what we can help, we can do to help. 1 Corinthians 12-14 says, There is one body, but it has many parts. But all of its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We were all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we are all formed into one body. It didn't matter whether we were Jew or Gentiles, slaves or free people. We were all given the same spirit to drink, so the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. This is the very core of why ICC exists. In the West, we are usually on the giving end, financially, to the global body. However, I find that we are richly repaid because we see faith lived out on a different level. We see true courage, true devotion, and faith so real it often startles us. Did you know that each of those 21 Coptic Christians had the chance to live? Had they turned from Jesus and converted to Islam, they would still be alive. If you watch the video closely, you can see some of them saying something. They were repeating the name of our Lord Jesus to keep each other and themselves strong. Isis thought that this video would terrorize the church, but it had the opposite effect. When we worked with families of the martyrs afterwards, they would hold up pictures of their mur martyred and murdered loved ones. Yes, they were filled with sorrow over losing their loved ones. However, the pride they felt in the courage of their husbands, sons, and fathers was evident. For 1,400 years, Christians have, have suffered at the hands of Islam, but nothing can turn them away from their faith in Jesus. They see themselves as joining in the suffering of their ancestors and following their Lord to Calvary. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Revelation 24. Those brothers on the beach, quietly whispering to themselves and each other, were steadying their hearts. They knew there would be a moment's worth of pain, but their lives were about to begin. Father God, I'm so thankful, Father God, that your words are yes and amen. All your promises, Father God. Father, Jesus, before you went back to your Father, before you departed from this earth, Father God, you gave us so much. Told us so much, Father God, and you told us, Father God, that in this world we will have trouble. You told us, Father God, that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness and for your name's sake, for there is the kingdom of heaven. 
Father, you told us in the Beatitudes, Father God, that to rejoice and to be exceedingly glad, the great is your reward in heaven for those who are persecuted, Father. Father, you, you are worthy. You told us, Father God, that their servant is no greater than their master. And you are our master, and you suffer our horrible death. You told us as well, Father God, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You told us, Father God, that you will be with us until the very end. That you will wipe out every single tear. That you will make all things new, Father God, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father God, I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that all of us, and our brothers and sisters around the world, for those in the specific who are right now, persecuted in so many different ways, Father God. For the underground churches, Father God, I strengthen your people, I pray this morning, Father God. Father, I pray for endurance, for perseverance, Father God, and hoping you will never disappoint us, Father God. Father, you say that we need to rejoice in all circumstances, no matter what we're going through, persecution, uh, illness, uh, jail time, whatever it is, Father God, to rejoice, to know that you are with us, that you will strengthen us, that you will be with us, that you will never leave us, that you will be our healer, our comfort, our peace. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will strengthen our brothers and sisters today, Father God, that you will encourage them, that they will remember every single promise that is in this holy book, Father. Father, help us here in America, God, to understand the cost to follow you. And those 21 people who consider the cost. Yes, God. Father God, so help us to understand that to follow you, it gotta cost us everything, even on our own personal life. But guess what? It is greater than the words you have for us in heaven. Father, I, I'm reminded about Paul when he said that he considered everything ravaged, that he considered that everything lost, that he count everything lost with it because he wanted to follow you. That he understood, Father God, that to follow you is everything. So Lord, I pray that we will continue this race, pressing on to that cross that is in front of us, Father. That we understand, Father God, that this flesh has been crucified already, that we are already dead, but alive in Christ. Jesus, so help us, Holy Spirit, to Preach. walk every day Preach. with you, to decide more of you and less of us. Help us have a brothers and sister on the other side of the world. And in specific, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I lift up our brothers and sisters in, in North Korea, God, yes. in, those, in those camps, Father. Strengthen them, I pray, Lord Jesus. Father, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in Iran, in Iraq, in Libya, in Eritrea, Father God, in Somalia, Lord Jesus, have mercy, I pray, in Turkey, in China, yes. Lord Jesus, in Indonesia, God, have mercy, and strengthen our brothers and sisters this morning, for our brothers and sisters, for the underground churches, God, empower them, continue to use them to grow and to advance your kingdom. Lord, for those who say yes to you, who have 
say no to the Muslim world. They decide to follow you, God, and they have lost everything. They know what is to follow Jesus Christ, God. Strengthen them. Help them. I pray for provision, Lord Jesus. Help us to understand, Father, us here in America, to pray for our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world, Father God. Bless them, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. And, Father, I know that one day, we will be with you forever and ever in a new heaven and earth in a new Jerusalem, God. So we thank you for that. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this month we're going to be collecting for the International Christian Concern who helps with the persecuted church. And Carrie's going to send out and post the 40-day challenge um, link. Um, it's a 40-day challenge. is a series of daily devotions that are a supplement to the last words of the martyrs, which is a book that the president of ICC um, wrote on persecution. So you can check that out and she sends that information out. All right, so Galatians chapter six, verse seven, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will harvest what you plant. That is our verse to consider daily throughout this year. What are you putting your hands to? What are you putting your thoughts to? What are you speaking? As the Bible declares that as we think, so we go. And whatever we're sowing, we shall reap. So we want to be mindful as, as Christians to live lives that are honoring Jesus. That we're sowing the right seed the good seed, not in and of ourselves, but the dependence, a life dependent upon the Holy Spirit to honor Christ and all that we say, do, and think. You know, that we're mindful when the Word of God talks about taking every thought captive and bringing it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If the Bible is telling us that He transforms us by changing the way we think, we need to be diligent and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to our thought life. To our thought life. And to take thoughts that are contrary to His truth captive. And submitting them to His Lordship. Just because it's how you thought your whole life is not how you're to continue to think. So we want God to have His way in our lives. And we want to be mindful that what we are sowing to we will reap what we are harvesting. Um, we will harvest what we plant. I want us to go real quick to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And it's been a theme this morning, but it's also been a theme for myself all week in my prayer time. And it's something I shared or touched on last week. And it's Jesus' words to his disciples about considering the cost. So Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 26. And as we think about what we are sowing to, and as we come to Christ, it is vital that we understand that Jesus tells us and declares that we are to consider the cost. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up, your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you, I'm sorry, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. The call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up his cross or your cross and to follow him, to follow Jesus. Consider the cost. To understand that it's just not uh, an emotional experience, but it's a true divine revelation of who Christ is, that God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus. And in that revelation that we consider the cost, it's going to cost us everything. We have to lay our lives down, you all. We have to completely surrender, not because we're forced, but because we recognize the freedom that is found in Christ our Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. That we now are no longer a slave to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness for his name's sake. So let's go to Numbers 15. Numbers 15, verse 17 is where we're starting. And we'll go through chapter 16, verse 40. God is laying out in chapter 15 the laws concerning offerings that he is required of of the, the people are required to bring. So verse 7 is where we're picking up. Verse 17 is where we're picking up. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you arrive in the land where I'm taking you, and you eat the crops that grow there, you must set some aside as a sacred offering to the Lord. And I love this, and don't miss it. If you want to highlight it, you want to circle it, you want to underline it, do whatever you want there. But listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you arrive in the land where I am taking you, don't miss that. Because you remember what we read last time, he's already announced judgment on the people of Israel. There's going to be a generation that is going to die off in the wilderness. But there will be a generation that's going to enter into the land in which he has promised Israel. Don't miss that. Especially as we continue our reading today. God is a God of his word. He is faithful to his covenant, what he has established, what he has purposed, it shall come to pass. So it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not, that's not going to thwart his plan. Your unbelief is not going to stop God's plan. No, God is going to accomplish what God has purposed. A generation of people will die off. They will not enter to what God has spoken and what God has promised. Not because God is being 
quote unquote a bad God. No, these people are not for God. They have chosen to rebel. Their hearts are hardened. They have turned from Him. They have just taken and not given back. They haven't considered the cost. They're just takers. Do for me, do for me, do for me, do for me. And when you don't do for me, then I want nothing to do with you. And God knew their hearts all along. And in their rebellion, they are now held accountable. But there is a generation that will rise up and they will inherit what God has purposed. And so God has given these instructions. When you arrive, it's not if you will arrive, no, when you arrive in the land where I'm taking you and you eat the crops that grow there, you must set some aside as a sacred offering to the Lord. Present a cake from the first of the flour you grind and set it aside as a sacred offering as you do with the first grain from the threshing floor. Throughout the generations to come, you are to present a sacred offering to the Lord each year from the first of your ground flour. But suppose you intentionally fail to carry out all these commands that the Lord has given you through Moses. And suppose your descendants in the future fail to do everything the Lord has commanded through Moses. If the mistake was made unintentionally and the community was unaware of it, the whole community must present a young bull for a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It must be offered along with its prescribed grain offering and liquid offering and with one male goat for a sin offering. With it, the priest will purify the whole community of Israel, making them, look at this, right with the Lord. And they will be forgiven. For it was an unintentional sin, and they have corrected it with their offerings to the Lord. This special gift and the sin offering, the whole community of Israel will be forgiven, including the foreigners living among you, for all the people were involved in the sin." And the church should say, Amen, because again, we see this beautiful picture of redemption, of forgiveness, of being made right with God. He always makes a way. Always. Always makes a way. If one individual, so that was dealing with the community, but if one individual, verse 27, commits an unintentional sin, the guilty person must bring a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. The priest will sacrifice it to purify the guilty person before the Lord, and that person will be forgiven. These same instructions apply both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. But those who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native-born Israelites or foreigners, have blasphemed the Lord, and they must be cut off from the community. Since they have treated, listen to this, the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his command, they must be completely cut off and suffer the punishment for their guilt. God, you all, hates sin. Remember, he's a just God. There's no error found in God. The error is found in man. 
We're sinners. We're in complete rebellion towards God and his kingdom. And God was establishing within his people that he has set aside for himself that they would be his ambassadors, that they would live according to his direction, that the other nations will see that they are God's people and he is their God. And he's established these offerings to make them right, especially the sacrifice of these animals, the shedding of blood to make them right with him, that they would be a forgiven people, that they would be a restored people. But those who blatantly live how they want to live, do how they want to do, they treat the word of the Lord with contempt and deliberately disobey, they are to be removed completely. They are to suffer the punishment for their guilt. They cannot remain among the people. They must be set out. God deals with sin harshly. There's no, there's no lightheartedness when it comes to sin. And that's how it should be in our lives. That's how it should be in our lives. We should hate it and we should be disgusted by it as much as God is. Not first in everyone else's life, but in your own. The gossiping, the murmuring, the complaining, the bad attitudes, the wrong thoughts, the manipulation, the perversion, the greed, the lust, the gluttony, you name it, whatever it is. Like we should hate it. We should see it for how destructive it is. And then we also should truly see the price that was paid, Jesus the final offering, the Lamb of God who took our punishment so that we could be restored to God. And yet people, and I've done it before I came to Christ, we blame God for everything. We find Him to be harsh. We find Him, we we make Him out to be who He's not. The reality is sin destroys And God is setting aside a people for himself and they are to be holy. Holy. And as it was then, so it is now. Especially now with the church. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We're confessing and we're believing that Jesus rose from the dead and he is the Son of God. We receive the Holy Spirit. We're now saying we are empowered with God himself, leading our lives, directing our steps. We're to honor him. We're a holy people, a royal priesthood. We are his ambassadors. We're without excuse. The Bible says that he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. And sin is not to be our master. Again, doesn't mean that we're perfect doesn't mean that we won't sin, but sin will not define us. It should not define us because God is for us. So who can be against us? And we should rise up every day with the, with the assurance 
that He has already given us the victory. That we live out of His victory. Not out of our defeat. One day, verse 32, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they discovered a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. The people who found him doing this took him before Moses and Aaron. I'm sorry, Moses, Aaron, and the rest of the community. They held him in custody because they did not know what to do with him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must be put to death. The whole community must stone him outside the camp. So the whole community took the man outside the camp and stoned him to death. Just as the Lord had commanded excuse me, Moses. He violated God's law. What was established. He took it upon himself <clears throat> to do what he wanted instead of honoring God. And the people's noticed this. They, wasn't, they weren't quite sure what to do. So they sought counsel from Moses, from Aaron and the, other, and the community. And God spoke. The man must be put to death. And yet people will hear that and again have a wrong understanding of who God is. Look how harsh God is. Why would you follow a God like that? Why would you not follow a God who honors his word? He's not going to go back on what he has placed, has put in place because man has chosen to go their way and to do their thing. No, God is faithful to what he has established. Sin leads to death. And if we don't understand that reality, then sin would, wouldn't be an issue. We would just keep sinning. But when you recognize that it leads to death, when you recognize that the destructive pattern of it, when you recognize that God himself has made a way out, then hopefully you're choosing to go the way out that God has made and not to keep going your way or the way that may look right in your sight and be deceived by the enemy when he, when he comes and he says, did God really say, is God really going to hold you to this? Just give in to it. Just do it. It's not hurting anyone. It's not going to hurt you. You need the wood. No, what he needed was the rest. To honor God. To honor the Sabbath as God has ordered in that time for the people to do. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 37, Give the following instructions, the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. When you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourself as you are prone to do. The tassels will help you remember that you must obey all my commands and be holy to your God. 
I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Listen to that. I am the Lord, your God. Again, specific instructions to bring to mind what God has called them to do. Make these tassels, attach them. And when you see them, you're going to remember. So it's not that you don't know, like you know (laughs) that I am God. That I am God. And as it is with them, we're not wearing tassels today, but His Word is in our heart. So it's vital that you're in the Word. That you know the Word. That you're having fellowship. That there's accountability in your life. That you're bringing to memory what God has called us to. So that when the thoughts come, and you know it's contrary to God's truth, you don't give in. You don't continue to think on it. You don't continue to act on it. You don't continue to go your way that you're prone to do. No, God's word, God's law is hidden in your heart. And you know the right decision to make. And it reminds me of that psalm that we always refer to, and we read it just a few weeks ago, where God says, you thought because I was silent that it was basically okay for you to continue to sin, to continue to do what you want to do? Oh, no, 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 I'm coming for you. And I, personally, God, is going to tear you apart. You're going to feel my wrath for your wrongdoing, for you choosing to turn against me. But he's put into place to bring to memory the commands in which he has set out for them. I love when I hear this over and over. The tassels will help you remember that you must obey all my commands and be holy to your God. I love this. Listen, I am the Lord your God. And we hear that over and over. I am the Lord your God. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that has delivered you. And I did this so that I will be your God. I am the Lord your God. Chapter 16. One day, Korah, son of Ishar, a descendant of of Korhath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abriam, the son of Eli, Eli, and and on son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben, they incited, look at this, a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart for the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? Rebellion against God. 
against what God has designed and what God and who God has placed in authority. Rebellion. Won't we learn? They didn't learn. And as we keep reading, they should have remembered, wait a minute. Aaron's son, back here, sons, back here, chose to burn the wrong incense. (laughs) They did it their way, and they were struck down dead. We just read about Moses' sister and Aaron running their mouth about Moses. We see how God deals with sin. We see, we've seen how he's dealt with these people. They should have an understanding of, and in fact, after what we just read, they should have an understanding of who their God is and how they should honor him and live for him. And yet, and yet, rebellion is in the camp. Rebellion is in the camp. When Moses heard, verse 4, what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. Then he said to Korah and his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his own presence. Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners. Light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Korah has already given this special ministry to you. I'm sorry, Korah, Korah, he has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? The Lord is the only one, I'm sorry, the Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? They weren't satisfied into what God has called them to. They were already set aside to serve. They wanted the priesthood. They wanted more. Someone in their ear clamoring. The enemy stirring up strife and division. And instead of dealing with it, people fell prey to it. Be careful. Be careful of the gossip, of the slander of Christian leaders, Christian brothers and sisters. Be careful when someone is revolting against what God has established. They're out for themselves. And before you know it, you'll be swept up with them. You'll be going along with them. Then Moses summoned Dathan 
and this other guy, the sons of Elab. But they replied, we refuse to come before you. Listen to these. The reply of these two people. They are refusing to make things right. They are refusing to listen to their, to their leader in whom God has placed. They are refusing. We refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough? Listen to this. I want you to hear how their words are twisted. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt? Underline this. Circle it. Highlight it. A land flowing with milk and honey. Do you see the error in what they have just said? If not, let me remind you, Egypt was not the land flowing with milk and honey. What land is, was promised to them flowing with milk and honey? The promised land. They have now taken what was promised and attached it to what was behind them. You see how the enemy works? He comes to deceive. And people begin to live in a weird reality. And they speak things that aren't true. And yet people go along with it. People just listen instead of holding them accountable and saying, no, that's not right. That's not right. Listen to what they're saying. I mean, I hope you didn't miss this if you read this before this week. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in the wilderness? And that you now treat us like your subjects. And we have never seen that with Moses. You have never seen Moses lord over these people. In fact, what we've always seen is Moses on his face interceding for these people. He was serving these people. And now these men have conjured up this wrong image of Moses. Now, now look what they said. You, you treat us as your subjects, like you're better than us. They have placed him up where Moses has never himself said he was at. And that happens a lot. Oh, be careful of who you're listening to. And when you see the devil running amok, call him out. Deal with it. Because they're in error. They are now attacking God and what God and who God has established. What's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We will not come. They're pointing to Moses. They've totally forgot who God is. God is the one who is bringing all of this about. And they're so focused on man. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their grain offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, and I have never hurt a single one of them. 
And Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourself before the Lord. Aaron will also be here. You and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it. So you can all present them before the Lord. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire, and placed incense on it. Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. I hope you get this scene, what's going on here, with Moses and Aaron. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron. Be careful of those who have nothing good to say. I'm telling us, we better be mindful of who we're hanging out with. I mean, Kor wasn't even, I mean, he wasn't even caring any longer about God and the presence of God. He was just stirring up strife. Just going through the works of the motions Religious works. His heart wasn't even in it. But somehow the community began to follow him. And they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, get ready for this. Verse 21, get away from all these people so that I may instantly destroy them. You want to know what to do with people who have bad attitudes, who, like Korah, is trying to lead a rebellion, who has nothing good to say but all, always negative, always attacking? Get away from them. Have nothing to do with them. There's no benefit for you to be among them. Because all they're doing is serving their flesh, and the enemy. God says, tells Moses and Aaron, get away from them. I may instantly destroy them. Here again, God could wipe them all out. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Oh God, they pleaded, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? And the Lord said to Moses, Then tell the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Listen to that. I won't destroy all of them then. But tell them they better get away from these people. They better break ties with them. They're not honoring me, so they better move far from it. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of those wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. 
So look at the reply of the people. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Then Dathan and Abram came out. Oh, now finally they want to come out. <laughs> and stood at the entrance of their tents together with their wives and children and little ones. And Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done. For I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all of their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them, and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. All the people around them fled when they heard their screams. The earth will swallow us too, they cried. Then fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250 men who were offering the incense. Do we understand this scene? He's a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. And He's a God of love. He will not tolerate sin, nor shall we. Especially those who say they're among the house of the Lord. Especially those who are going around calling themselves Christians, but not living as a Christian. Just holding a form. That's why in the New Testament, those are the only people we're told not to have anything to do with. We're not to have the, we're to be around the, the lost. Because how then would they know? But those who are saying that they are Christians, who are, who are portraying that they're part of the family of Christ, yet are so divisive, yet so rebellious, have, have, have done to, works to tear down, Oh, you better have nothing to do with them. Because nothing good comes from it. The Lord Himself, through the inspired Word of God, tells us have nothing to do with them. If they will not repent, if they will not turn, let them go. Because God Himself will deal with them. God himself will deal with them. These men and their followers, they received the punishment that was due to them. Again, you can't point your finger and blame God. No, point it back to man. Man is the problem. Sin is the problem. 
It's wicked. And God dealt with the problem. Remove it. Remove it. And the earth opened up and swallowed them. (laughs) Alive. Like, they went down alive. And look how the people responded. They took off. (laughs) And then the other 250... Burnt up. Destroyed. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, to pull all the incense burners from the fire, for they are holy. Also tell him to scatter the burning coals. Take the incense burners of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives and hammer the metal into the thin sheet to overlay the altar. Since those burners were used in the Lord's presence, they have become holy. And look at this. Let them serve as a warning to the people of Israel. So every time they will look upon this, they will remember this day. To draw them to God and not wander off to do their own thing, to get caught up and gossip and slander and rebellion. So Eleazar, the priest, collected the 250 bronze incense burners that had been used by the men who died in the fire, and the bronze was hammered into a thin sheet to overlay the altar. This would warn the Israelites that no unauthorized person, no one who who is not a descendant of Aaron, should ever enter the Lord's presence to burn incense. If anyone did, the same thing would happen to him as happened to Korah and his followers. So the Lord's instructions to Moses were carried out. Again, you all. God does not tolerate sin. Remember, sin can only lead to death, to destruction. And I hope we remember that. I hope that as we're going, as you're going through your week, as you're meditating upon the Word of God, as you're meditating upon our Scripture, you will harvest what you plant. That you're choosing to do good as you're obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if you walk habitually in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You must grow. You must mature in your Christian walk, in your dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Go to Mark chapter 15. Jesus is our final sac- is the final sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. He endured. You know, so many times you hear people always, you know, again, complaining about God, always pointing out the Old Testament. Look how horrible God is. And again, they're in error in doing so because there's no error found in God. He is just. He is holy. He is right. And His decisions and, 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 and what He has laid out as, as punishment, as justice... It is right. I mean, look at Jesus. God himself. We're reading now and we're leading up to his death. 
where he now would take upon the wrath of God. That he would take our punishment so that we could live. This is the love of God. This is the love of God. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And somehow the enemy has crept in to the church, to the new covenant church, and has whispered the lie that God is not a God of wrath. That somehow the God of the Old Testament no longer exists. But let us not forget. His wrath is stored up. He may not move as he did in the Old Testament, or he may. If God wants to open up the ground to swallow up, then so be it. God opens the ground. If God wants to deal how God wants to deal with rebellion upon the earth, he's God. But as far as the wrath of God, it's stored up. Just because Jesus died and rose again didn't do away with God's wrath. What it did was open a way so that we, his people, would not have to endure it. That's the good news. God so loved the world. You know, Jesus, again, didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world because, again, the world already stands condemned. The wrath of God is coming. And it's going to hit this earth. And people who aren't in Christ are going to suffer. Because they chose not to accept Jesus. They chose not to accept God's love. And that's what I keep saying to us. Why would we trade his love for his wrath? Why would we, when we have heard the good news, continue to live for ourselves? No, we are to consider the cost. We're to give thought to the call of the disciple. To lay our life down to deny ourselves, to pick up his cross and to follow him. The freedom that is found in Jesus. The love that is displayed through Jesus. The hope that we have because of Jesus. That we would not be the ones to endure his wrath. Because we are embraced by his love. Oh, the wrath of God is stored up. And God is patient. He is slow to anger. But there will come a day. There will come a day that Jesus will return. And the wrath of God will hit this place. And the people left are going to endure it. And oh God, I can't even imagine So, oh, I pray that that encourages us to get out and live our lives before people. That we wouldn't just tolerate sin. That we wouldn't just coddle it or or just pat people on the head or pat them on their back or just exist with them. 
just go about going about doing whatever they want to do. Know that we are genuinely encouraging them to live for Christ, to come to Christ, to be reconciled to God, pointing people to God, not just existing with them away from God. Look at Mark chapter 15, verse 1 through 47. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barnabas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner, prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews, Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd. And do we see this again? As we just read in Numbers. How these false leaders, how these people who were against God began to stir up everyone else. So now these leading priests are out there stirring up the crowd. Pilate asked, I'm sorry, but at this point the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And it's funny, as I was studying this week, I was reading the difference between Barabbas and Jesus. Jesus is the eternal king. He's the eternal savior of the world. Barabbas, he was a political, like anti-Roman Jew who led uprisings to overthrow the Roman rule, the Roman rulers. And so these people recognized him as a physical, if you would, a temporal savior. That somehow Barabbas and the men that he could gather up would overthrow Rome and free the Jews. They settled for the temporal relief instead of the eternal. And oh, isn't that what we fall prey to? We give in to the temporal things, to those, to 
this or to that that we feel can bring us in that moment what we want instead of relying and trusting on what God has for us and allowing God to work out his plan and trusting in God. They settled for a man that would do nothing for them. And because they were inspired by these religious leaders who were living against God. Now Jesus is turned over to these soldiers. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they finally tied, I'm sorry, tired, when, huh? When they, when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of the Jews, I mean the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. And as I was studying through this week, um, where we see here in verse 30, well then, when they cried out or when they were taunting him, well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The commentary was comparing it to when Jesus was in the wilderness. And how Satan was attacking Jesus. Always trying to thwart God's plan. But Jesus knew what he had to do. Remember, Jesus willingly went to the cross. He was not going to thwart God's plan. It was purposed. It was purposed. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Listen to Jesus' words, you all. Hmm. 
Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that's significant because God ripped that curtain, that which used to keep God's presence aside. Only the priests were allowed in. Now through Christ's death, all will have access to God. Oh, it's beautiful, you all. Then Jesus, I'm sorry, when the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was a son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and the younger, and of Joseph. And, I don't have that name there. Sal, Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him when he was in Galilee. Mary, I'm sorry, many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As the evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for, for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate had told I'm sorry, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph brought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Wow, y'all. And it's interesting that Joseph of Arimathea, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the group of men who were stirred all this up. But yet he was a believer. In some of the commentaries I read that he lived basically an undercover life among these men. But he was a believer in Jesus. He also fulfilled um, prophecy that was spoken about Jesus. And so here he comes and they were saying how Pilate must have been confused that he shows up because he was part of the group well, at least he may not have been there with the other men there, but he was a part of the council that was the ones that brought all these charges to Jesus, that one of Jesus is dead. Jesus dead. And then he also, they, he, they went on to say how he took a big risk doing this, that he finally stood up to, for his faith in Christ to go take his body. He was risking himself, his position, and his family by doing so. So I never thought, I never I didn't know if you thought of Joseph that way, but he finally stood up at the right time, if you would, to do what was right, to honor God. Go to Psalm 54.
Psalm 54. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. But God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promise and put an end to them. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you have rescued me from my troubles and helped me to triumph over my enemies. This is such a beautiful prayer that David penned. Oh, that we would remember how great our God is, you all. That doesn't matter what's coming against us. It doesn't matter what we're facing or who we're facing but that we would remember that God is for us. And as I've been encouraging us as we're going through the book of Psalms, is that it's calling us to look up. Not to look out at the temporalness of life. Not to look at any of this and allow all of the temporalness to lord over us. No, we allow Him, the one whom we have called upon, to be our God. He is our God. And He is gracious and He is kind. He is our protector. He is the great I Am. And whatever the need may be, look up and give him praise. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, I should say. Verses 5 and 6 is where we're ending today. Proverbs 11, verse 5 and 6. The godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them. And again, we see the contrast between those who live for God and those who don't. So that it be marked of us that we are those living for God. Amen? I'm going to close this with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer. Every time I try